This is Dr. Trivulet with the Attitude of Gratitude on the Galil Goddess Podcast. And today I have a stellar physician joining me today. One that I would see myself. That's right. She is rock star. Someone that I would trust with my life. Dr. Emmy Hosoda a functional medical doctor here in Enumclaw, Washington, here to talk about a functional approach she takes towards this pandemic around obesity. Obesity. What's so interesting about her perspective is that she relates to hydrogenated oils as a big corporate, as a problem to why we are ill in regards to our metabolic system. So before we get started, I wanted to say Dr. Emmy takes this approach that's very aligned with some of the philosophies of naturopathic medicine, which includes looking at the whole. And that's something that I really appreciate about a conventional provider that is reaching outside and bridging back into history, into current innovations. So she looks into genetics, into nutrition. She also has a a tailored personalized fitness coach that works with her clients, patients, that she works with. So as you know, I am all about the attitude of gratitude. That's one. (laughs) But I like to add a little bit of thought. Thought for intentional being in the moment. So I would like to share a quote. And this quote is from Zig Ziglar. If you don't know who he is, I will look him up. He is also a renowned speaker and business strategy, personal development guru in the back in the day. So he is a favorite. I love his energy. He's got the ATP. The real opportunities for success lies within the person and not in the job which to me is very empowering and hits me right to the heart, straight to the heart, because we are the captain of our ship. We are the masters of our fate. And it's our job to be empowered and to find what it is that brings us light and joy that is easy for us to do, even when life is difficult. That is worth living for. And I'm so grateful to have found that. And I hope that I can orchestrate and facilitate and catalyze that in you guys by just even being a person that's gotten there. So grateful. So let's start with this. So Dr. Emmy, she's going to start us out with talking about obesity. And like I mentioned before, she takes a functional approach towards looking at this. She also has her personal journey. So, you know, any good teacher, any really skilled teacher is going to have the anecdotal and the clinical background, the clinical cumin 
that that blend of the art and science, the compassion, the sympathy, empathy, all of those things that play into even her whole philosophy and approach. So I am looking forward to her. She's an elegant communicator. So here she is, Dr. Emmy. please get us going with what is the current incidence or prevalence of obesity? So Dr. Emmy, tell me about the, how common is obesity? Well, it's really common. I mean, 70% of Americans are at least overweight. Mm-hmm. Um, and so of those, you know, some 50% of people could actually be classified as obese. So there's so many people that are struggling with their weight uh, in America today. And of course that has led to a lot of other things that have come from it because about every 10 years, the number of 30 to 40 year olds diagnosed with type two diabetes, for instance, increases. And um, between 1990 and the year 2000, that number doubled. And so, you know, since basically um, type two diabetes is very much a lifestyle disease and obesity factors into it, you can really see that it's causing a lot of um, healthcare burden uh, not only on individuals, but on the system. So it's it's a big, big issue. So it's very common. I mean, more than half our population has this condition. And, you know, mm-hmm. there's this whole dogma is a choice. You know, let's go into the multifactorial components to this. And, and from your expertise, what what contributes a lot to this? Well, some of it is systemic. I mean, two changes happened in America back in the 1970s that sort of, I believe, really fueled the obesity epidemic. One was this introduction of hydrogenated oils as something that's really common. So butter was changed to margarine for most people. And then hydrogenated oils became a common part of what we eat. Like a lot of people eat peanut butter that has hydrogenated oils. And these oils really mess up your metabolism. They insert themselves into the membrane of your cells so your cells can't function well. And they're really one of the biggest reasons I feel that people have chronic disease in America. So that was change number one. Number two was sugar was changed to high fructose corn syrup in many American products. Mm -hmm. So, you know, instead of getting the sugar that's kind of hard to break down and your body has to work to break it down, you get the simple sugar, high fructose corn syrup in concentrated ways. It's basically like, like infusing IV sugar into your veins. So if you're eating the standard American diet, the stuff that's generally available to people, fast food, restaurant food, you know, stuff out of packages, you're getting this all the time, hydrogenated oils and high fructose corn syrup or concentrated sugars in this kind of form. And so, you know, it's no wonder that people, you know, gain weight, but it's just pervasive in the culture. It's not like, you know, to eat differently than that is really the choice you have to make because what's generally available to people is really all this stuff. So that's, there are environmental factors for sure. Um, and it is kind of a choice, but it's a difficult choice because the foods that don't contain those things are much more expensive and you kind of have to go out of your way to get them. So that's number one. But number two is that there's a lot of things that, um, underlie obesity, genetic factors, um, you know, uh, undiagnosed disease and whatnot that a lot of people are struggling with. Um, and even things like vitamin and mineral deficiencies that can just drive people to eat and eat because they're just missing this one vitamin or mineral and they're seeking it out, but they're eating the wrong thing instead. For instance, if you are low on magnesium, you're going to crave sugar and chocolate, you know? And a lot of people don't know that because they're never ever tested for magnesium. I've even had patients show up in the ER with like 
heart arrhythmiasm, they don't get tested for magnesium. I mean, that's how much people don't get tested for it, even when it's like super indicated, well, much less the person that's just struggling with their weight. Nobody thinks about checking for that. And so what happens is people really have these reasons that they're being tempted. And what ends up happening is they unfortunately blame themselves. And that's kind of where I was. I mean, I was a hundred pounds overweight doctor and I had patients going, well, you're telling us about lifestyle, but you're a hundred pounds overweight, you know? Yeah. And I mean, there are all these factors that were leading me to be overweight. I wasn't not trying. I mean, I was eating like a 1200 calorie calorie vegan diet. I was doing all this aerobic exercise, which turned out to be like the very wrong way of exercising for losing weight. Um, but I just didn't know better because you don't really learn those things in medical school. I really had to educate myself, you know, to be a functional medicine doctor, really look into things and look for, you know, why things were happening and really specialize in learning about obesity because it was really my own problem and something I saw, saw so commonly in my patients. And I was just tired of people like facing the blame game every time they tried to lose weight. And, you know, they'd go to the doctor and, you know, obese people just get treated so badly in, in general medicine because people just think that they're, you know, uh, couch potatoes, that they're not trying hard enough and all that. And really no one wants to be obese. If, if obese people had a choice, they would not be obese. And so the thing is that for me, it was like getting to the bottom of what's causing this and, and helping people to figure that out. Because unfortunately, most people are given these one size fits all weight loss systems or advice. And a lot of it is the wrong advice for them because what's panacea for one person might be poison for another based on their genetics or hormones or whatever else they've gone through in their life and vice versa. What's you know poison for this person may be panacea for the other. So that's why it's so important about crystallized weight loss is really figuring out what's gonna work for you, not for your next door neighbor or Joe Blow. It's not a mass market kind of thing. It's like an individual solution. Yeah, there's not a palliative thing it's definitely personalized you know so you brought up these this good point of individualization of this but also I'm curious with women you know we know that as we age through the perimenopausal transition there are so many hormonal factors to this and of the cycle that plays into this right it's big. Um, and I mean, I have kind of a 60% solution. So I had a friend of mine, uh, Dr. Dan Sullivan, who's a functional medicine chiropractor, asked me like, well, not everybody can go through your program. What's your 60% solution? Well, my 60% solution for women anyway, who are going through the change is look at insulin and leptin resistance, because that happens to at least 85% of people starting around age 35 is when our hormones change. A lot of people don't know that. They think menopause is like in your 50s, but really the changes that that start menopause happen in your 30s. And the first thing that happens is that you stop being able to robustly make a hormone called DHEA, dihydroendosterone sulfate, which is a big, big, big word. Basically, DHEA is a hormone that's made in your adrenal glands, which are these glands that sit on top of your kidneys that help you deal with stress. So they make your fight or flight hormones. One of the hormones they make is cortisol, which a lot of people have probably heard of. But the hormone that shuts off cortisol, it goes up to your pituitary and says, stop making cortisol is this hormone DHEA. Well, DHEA is actually the first hormone that goes down when you go through menopause, way before you lose estrogen, way before you even lose progesterone and testosterone, which go away before estrogen, you're going to lose DHEA and you're going to lose that robust ability to make DHEA because of your age and kind of the cycle that you're put into is, you know, going towards menopause. Because really, if you think about it, I mean, as humans, we've never lived this long, right? Like I went to a Viking exhibit once uh, in Vancouver 
And they had like the grave of a 40 year old woman instead, like here lies the grave of a 40 year old woman, a very old woman for her time. You know, so in Viking times, if you lived to be 40, you were really old. So at 35, you were kind of headed towards like your deathbed, basically. You know, so at 35 is when these hormones start to change. Well, for us, I mean, we're going to have a long life into our 80s. So what, for 50 years, we're going to have to live like this? So we really have to figure this out if we're going to have a good life, you know, into our 80s where we do what we want. And so really DHEA is one key. There's a lot of things you can do to promote DHEA. Um, but what happens when you don't make DHEA is your cortisol spikes. And that's actually the first step in the insulin and leptin resistance that women and even men face, you know, at these ages when their DHEA decreases. It's really because of a decrease in DHEA and the jump in cortisol that people become insulin and leptin resistant. Mm -hmm. So I would say the 60% solution for most people is... Uh, basically doing mind-body wellness techniques that lower cortisol because cortisol is a really ancient hormone. I mean, my son studies fisheries biology and they actually measure cortisol in clams. So it's been around like for the ages. But for us as human beings, it really evolved when we were hunter-gatherers and cortisol would spike when we were like running away from a predator, right? Because like we're running away from a lion and cortisol would spike. And what it would do is it would shunt blood away from our gut into our muscles so that we could run and it would make us more insulin resistant transiently so that we could get sugar to our muscles and run away and hopefully outrun the predator and live. And that's why people who can spike their cortisol lived and those who did not, you know, probably didn't evolutionarily survive. So it is something that was evolutionary advantageous to us back when we were hunter gatherers. But the thing is, once you outran the lion, you probably went to your cave and things were hunky-dory, okay, for you. Now we live in a world where it's not you're outrunning predators. You have like constant stress all the time. So once you spike your cortisol, you know, if you don't have DHA to shut it off and you're constantly under stress, you're going to have this high cortisol all the time. And because over 35, you don't make the DHA to really shut it off. That's when people's weight problems generally start and they get worse and worse and worse. And some people, it hits them later in their fifties, but a lot of people start to have these problems really in their late thirties. Um, and they'll even go to doctors. They'll be like, well, you're still young. We don't know, you know, and they're really actually facing these hormonal challenges. So to get the cortisol DHEA cycle under control, I usually recommend people do mind body wellness techniques, specifically emotional freedom technique or tapping, uh, because it's been shown to clinically reduce cortisol and to lay down relaxation pathways in the brain that augment the parasympathetic over the sympathetic system. Mm -hmm. So that's one of my parts of the, like a 60% solution for, you know, 60% of people might benefit from this. The other is a supplement that really helps insulin and leptin resistance specifically and kind of turns back the clock on those two things. So it's berberine, GTFXL chromium, and a specific beta-glucan called Eat Less that really helps people with leptin resistance. Mm -hmm. And so about 85% of people are going to be leptin resistant. So if you can get cortisol, leptin, and insulin under control in you know, you're going to help about 60% of people. You're not going to help people who have vitamin or mineral deficiencies, crazy hormone imbalances or estrogen dominance, people who have hidden thyroid disease. So those are the 40, 50% of people that aren't going to be helped by doing these things at menopause. But some people are going to be helped. Like I've had patients where I've really done no workup uh, back when I wasn't really functional medicine, but I sort of understood these things. And they, you know, I taught them tapping. I gave them something to control the, their insulin and leptin and about half my patients lost weight. Half did not though. It didn't work for half the people because they had other issues that had to be sorting out. So. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, you know, you bring up a lot of points here. So with the cortisol, so one, the chromium and the beta-glucan and the <clears throat> the other supplement you mentioned, what was Berberine. it? Berberine. Berberine. Berberine's a great, it's a bitter, um, it's good for the liver. Yeah, that's that's great mm-hmm. that you use that. Changes the microbiome as well, you know. Changes the microbiome also gets rid of yeast, which can be one of the main drivers of temptation. Yeast. And they drive our behavior, right? Yeah. <laughs> they like, yeah. like, it's true. Um, have you read that book by... Uh, Harriet Washington, Infectious Madness. No, I haven't, but it sounds fascinating. It talks a lot about how microorganisms play into the psychiatric behavior. It's interesting. But um, the, so going back to this whole hormone cascade, my question for you is how much does lifestyle, like there's the whole, the way we live, our perspective and our, you know, basically, kind of the way our personality is. There's the whole neurobiological basis of this. Um, How much does that play into then the sleep, the dysregulation, you know, because cortisol plays into the circadian rhythm as well as the infrating rhythm. And when with all this hormone stuff, from your experience, where do you go with this? Like, you know, where do you- So I I try to look for cortisol dysregulation. So- you know, a lot of it you can tell by symptoms, like somebody who's really stressed and likely their cortisol is high. I mean, the quick and dirty test is an AM cortisol and DHEA. If those are off, then you have some clues, but sometimes those aren't off and people are getting like early morning awakening and all that. And that's where the 24-hour saliva test is really helpful because that tells you, for instance, if they're peaking their cortisol at 12 a.m. and waking up instead of peaking it at 4 a.m. when they're supposed to be peaking it and waking up. So, I mean, that test is under $100 to get done. So sometimes I will do that um, to try to get a better handle of what's going on with cortisol specifically for that person. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I treat it with, you know, mind-body wellness techniques, but there's some other things you can do. The supplement phosphatidylserine actually really helps with DHEA production. It's sort of an anti-aging for the adrenals. So that is super helpful for trying to raise DHEA and, and naturally shut off cortisol adaptogenic herbs, things like ashwagandha, rhodiola, roseola, those can be very helpful for some people. So, you know, trying to support the adrenals to do the right thing. And I know some doctors prescribe DHEA, but I really disagree with doing that because DHEA needs to be dynamic. It needs to rise when your cortisol rises to shut it off. And if you give someone a level amount of DHEA, it's really not going to impact that feedback loop to shut off cortisol. So, it's really not all that helpful. There's some studies showing that it's helpful, but um, in real life, I have not seen it be really helpful. Oh, I think that's I- a good antidote there. That's good to know. Another thing is I want to just emphasize that this is not at all, this conversation is not at all recommending treating, diagnosing, anything like that. This is an educational conversation. And with supplements, it's really about the clinician, their experience, their ability to know how to diagnose where you're at in your picture and to help you with the duration and the, the, um, the, the amount and, and as well as the, the form of administration of the supplement. So it really, yeah, this is not a DIY at all. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. A lot of people try to DIY their supplements. Like I know people are going to hear this and be like, Oh, I need to go buy phosphatidylserine. And it's like, no, you need to know what's happening with your cortisol because you need to even know when to take this phosphatidylserine. Yeah, it's so much of an educational so yeah. process, right? Yeah. That's part of the transformational piece of this. It's like, which we'll yes. go into maintenance momentarily, but so let's talk a little bit about 
let's go into how the um, microorganisms and the mineral deficiencies play into this whole cycle of cascade of dysfunction with the dysglycemia and metabolic syndrome. Yeah, so, you know, magnesium is one of the main things that I see deficient. I mean, it's not in a lot of American water supplies. It's not in a lot of foods that people eat in the standard American diet. It is in things like nuts and certain fruits and vegetables. Uh, but most people are deficient when you check them, their levels under two. And, you know, when you look at functional labs, we're looking at ideal levels, like maybe the lab below under two, you're really like probably functionally deficient. And then sometimes I'll also check a red blood cell magnesium to see, you know, what their cellular level of magnesium is. So that actually has a lot to do with like what happens in your adrenal glands, the production of DHEA is magnesium dependent. Uh, you know, your heart function, whether you feel anxious and, and have palpitations is magnesium dependent, your blood pressure is. So that's really one of the main deficiencies that I see that's very correctable. The other thing I see is B vitamin deficiencies. Those can really impact your metabolism. Specifically, I see a lot of deficiencies in nicotinamide, which is one of the main things in like the mitochondrial cascade, the little energy packets in your cells. So a lot of people are deficient in B3 uh, the nicotinamide version of B3, people are deficient in B6, B12, folate, all of these things really affect your metabolism. Um, vitamin D can be impactful to the metabolism because it can impact like how fatigued you are, how much you're motivated to work out. Also your immune system, if you're low on vitamin D, uh, a lot of times you're going to have immunological issues and you're going to have uh, problems with like more viral infections that are going to disable you. Um, and also increase inflammation. So one of the things people need to know is that fat is inflammatory and it lives on inflammation. So if you have more inflammation in your body, actually it kind of can, you know, make fat hang on. Um, and that's where the microbiome comes in also, because if you have, for instance, infections going on in your gut or you have leaky gut from other reasons, like you've had a lot of antibiotics or you eat foods that damage your gut, like herbicides and pesticides, um, then what's going to happen is you know, your gut is where your, your body sort of meets the world. I mean, that's where everything you ingest goes in. And then your the gut is supposed to get rid of the things that are not supposed to be absorbed in your body and then be good at absorbing, you know, the things that you need. Well, if you have trouble with your villi, the little outpocketings of your intestine, because you've damaged them or with your microbiome, if you have a microbiome that's, you know, terrible and sticky and like sticking to your villi and forming like biofilm instead of being a nice barrier, then you're not going to absorb well, but you're also going to leak things across your gut because you're going to pull apart the tight junctions that are going to keep your cells um, together. And then what happens is your body starts reacting to all these foods that are leaking across the gut because basically, if you understand immunology, you know that your cells react to big proteins, your immune cells. Mm -hmm. So if you're leaking across all this food that's not digested well, that's in big protein form, then you're going to start forming a lot of allergies and you're going to react to things and hold on to water. And, you know, you're going to have all this inflammation like uh, tumor necrosis factor alpha and IL-6, and they're going to make you hang on to weights. So. Yeah. And that plays into the sickness feeling, you know, sickness behavior, right? So those are two cytokines that play into that whole behavior of um, what we call inflammatory depression, which correlates with, with overweight individuals. And that plays into even decision-making and um, impulsive, you know, the, I call it the ability to resist temptation, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And a lot of people blame themselves like, oh gosh, I messed up again. And it's like, no, there's things 
driving these mess ups that you have to get to the bottom of, because once you do, you will be a very controlled eater. You're not going to mess up anymore. And like you were saying, like this yeast overgrowth factor, a lot of people don't know that the yeast actually, they thrive on sugar. So they're actually, you know, putting out these um, neuroactive molecules that are going to your brain and telling you that you need to eat sugar so that you can continue to feed them. You know, and so uh, a lot of people don't even know that they have yeast overgrowth. They have all this bloating, you know, they get recurrent yeast infections, but oh, yeah. they, they just get a diflucan for their yeast infection and that's that and it's supposed to cure it. And it's like, well, you know, there's a reason for this. And there's also genetic reasons for it. For instance, there's a gene called FUT that has to do with the integrity of your gut barrier, but mm-hmm. it also has to do with the absorption of B12, which is really important for the immune system and your immune function. So people that have this particular mutation, if they're not given the right kind of B12, which is injectable, if they're not given things to rebuild their gut barrier, they're going to be very, very susceptible to recurrent bacterial and yeast infections and to yeast overgrowth. So this is like the whole picture that I'm looking at with someone. When I do my look at someone, I'm looking at their genetics, I'm looking at their microbiome, I'm looking at their hormones, you know, I'm looking at their cardiometabolic things like their insulin levels and their leptin levels and their adiponectin, which is a hormone that's made in the mitochondria, the little energy packs in the cell that's key in weight loss. So I'm looking at all these things and going, okay, this is why this person particularly cannot lose weight. And then, you know, we fix that particular issue. So if you have FUT, your treatment for weight loss is going to be different than someone who has the ADIP-Q gene and they're not making adiponectin. You know, they're very different. And you're not going to want to take the supplements for adiponectin if your problem is that you have a poor gut barrier, you know. So yeah, that's, that's why doing the workup is important. So let me get this straight. So FUT, um, is this a SNP, uh-huh. a single nucleotide polymorphism? It's a single nucleotide polymorphism, yeah. So this this then is actually more common than if it was like a, a base mutation. Correct. So how, how often are you seeing this? So it's present in about 12.5% of the population has a double mutation in FUT. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing is that it's actually linked to blood type. Um, so, you know, a lot of people used to say, well, you know, the blood type diet, and I, I used to kind of disbelieve in the blood type diet, but I actually think now that it was really a marker for these other genes that we're now discovering are linked to obesity and other things that have to do with gut health. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, basically, um, you know, I believe FUT is tied to blood type O, uh, mm-hmm. which has more of the leaky gut type picture with it. Um, but, uh, you know, it's um, about 12.5% of the population has this double knockout where they don't make the FUT protein and they tend to have more like issues with their tight junctions in their gut and they tend to have lower absorption of B12 and they tend to have problems with these infections. So, yeah. And I've seen these people in my practice before I knew nutrigenomics, I was like, gosh, what is this people, why does this person keep getting yeast infections? I mean, you know, I would even correct their diet and they would continue to get it. And it's basically because they had this gene. So I think that's so fascinating. And that's might, you know, bring out some individuals, you know, refractory responses to things. So very interesting. Exactly. Correct me if I'm wrong. You work with individuals that have a spectrum of, you know, they're on the autistic spectrum, correct? Which have an affinity to more dysbiosis and yeast organisms, right? In their microbiome. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, there's some studies. Well, the reason I got interested in working with people on the spectrum was because my own child was on the spectrum. Mm. 
That's Back good. then, you know, there was no help. I mean, basically, we took them from doctor to doctor to doctor, and they finally offered us like amitriptyline or nortriptyline, which was it is an old-fashioned antidepressant that they used to give people for sleep. And they were like, "Well, if we give them this, it can calm them down." Now he was six at the time, but we need to do an EKG to make sure that you know it doesn't cause problems with his heart. I was like, he's six. I mean, are you serious? Like, this is, this is the only thing you can offer me? And they said, yes. And I said, well, is that going to change his neurological, you know, um, outlook? And they said, no, but it'll calm him down. I was like, well, I'm not interested in calming him down. I want to make him better. You know? And they're like, well, sorry. And I was like, well, are you telling me he's going to be on the, you know, rolling on the floor screaming for the And they're like, yeah, pretty much, you know. Um, you can try to get him some, you know, therapy, but it, it's probably not. So that's when I kind of started to read about the autism spectrum and what was out there. And I happened to get invited to a meeting of parents that were doing the Defeat Autism Now program. Um, and in that program, they actually take kids off gluten, dairy, all artificial color and flavor and sugar. Yeah. Um, and at the time, they weren't really doing any supplementation except for fish oil. But I started their diet and I put my child on a high quality fish oil. I tried one over the counter, which didn't work. So I ended up going with Metagenics, which had a really good high quality, mm -hmm. um, very concentrated fish oil. And my husband's Japanese, so kids love like seafoody stuff. So he slurped up this very fishy, fishy fish oil, which I could have never done. <laughs> but, um, anyway, he, he calmed down. I mean, he basically stopped rolling on the floor and screaming, but he didn't really advance much. And then I had a friend who's a orthopedic surgeon, but he also has a master's in public health. And um, he had started giving his kids this really high dose antioxidant for their allergies. And my son had horrible allergies, but like most people on the spectrum, when you gave him like allopathic medications, like, you know, Claritin and Allegra, you know, um, whatever they used for allergies back then, I think he would have, it was a Montelukas. Yeah, because the additives and the meds actually hurt them more than the meds can help them, yeah. you know, those artificial colors and stuff. So he would just get worse and worse. And mm -hmm. so Dr. Moore, who was this orthopedic surgeon was like, well, I'm giving these, my kids this high dose antioxidant mix of berries and pine bark and stuff. And it's really helped their allergies. Why don't you try it on the heat? And lo and behold, when I mixed that with the fish oil, he went from basically not recognizing letters to reading in three months. And so, you know, then I wrote about the fact that these guys have really huge issues with glutathione, which is the natural antioxidant in the cell. They all have really low glutathione levels, like 85% of autistic kids. So that's what was really making a difference. And they're also, you know, they have issues with dopamine production, which is what the fish oil really helps. So, um, so I sort of happenstanced on this. And then I started to do more reading and found out that a lot of them have like, for instance, methylation problems and, uh, you know, they have mercury toxicity. Um, so I, you know, it's a, it's a very involved thing that you have to kind of test for, but for my son, this approach really, really helped him. And so that's why, you know, I really believe I started to really, actually, that was my turning point for wanting to do functional medicine was because of what happened to him when he was six. And now he's 22 in college studying, you know, fisheries biology, but, um, it was just this happenstance of things of, you know, that I just got lucky with that really, uh, was able to turn his life around. And, and I just wish that, you know, more parents, more parents of kids on the autism spectrum really knew about some of these things. Uh, but, you know, um, the other thing you were talking about with the, with the microbiome changes in these kids, um, there was a study done by Hovrath, who's a G pediatric GI doctor in the early 1990s, where he scoped uh, autistic kids and their healthy siblings 
and found that the kids on the autism spectrum had changes that looked like Crohn's disease in 80% of the kids, actually. Mm -hmm. Things that were, you know, like these uh, aggregation of white blood cells in their gut and, you know, totally leaky gut. And he did this test called the lactulose um, mannitol test. And you're supposed to basically keep lactulose in your gut and leak mannitol across if you're a healthy person. Well, the kids on the autism spectrum, 80% of them also leaked across the lactulose. So they have like a one-to-one lactulose and mannitol, and they're supposed to have zero lactulose and a bunch of mannitol. So it's kind of a very interesting phenomenon. Yeah. And it makes sense, like why there's such a neuro neurological regression for some, you know, on the spectrum of things. Um, there's a lot of a, the, the gut brain component to this. Are you still there? Yeah. I think it froze for a minute, but but it seems to have come back. <laughs> yeah, so we kind of diverted onto um, a passion of yours and, and some of your clinical acumen, which relates to the whole. But going back to, um, you know, I would love to hear a success story from your program with someone that, um, a difficult patient, you know, a difficult person that came to you and you really were able to help with not only the loss, but also the maintenance. That's one of the things in weight loss, you know, the weight loss marketing is like the hot buy-ins of doing the program, but then the maintenance issues, right? There's no easy way out of this. There's definitely, if I'm correct, there's the, there's the lifelong living and understanding of how to live with what you are, what you have. Yeah. Yeah, So for my patients, really, I emphasize health over weight loss, because I think if you're healthy and your metabolism works, then you will lose weight. Mm-hmm. And it's a lifestyle. So I had a patient that came to me and she's actually a lovely lady. She's not a difficult patient at all, but she has a very difficult lifestyle because she's a flight attendant. Oh, so, yeah. you know, she has to travel everywhere. And, you know, this is, a. I mean, most people that travel could never do what she did, but she actually came in very sick. She was having like horrible heart arrhythmias. She, um, you know, was like 50 pounds overweight. Um, and was just getting nowhere, had been to several doctors who had so many things done. And her story is actually on my Instagram profile at doctorspelledout.me if anybody wants to check it out. It's from a couple of weeks ago. But anyway, she came to me and basically what we did was figure out exactly what her food sensitivities were, that she was low in adiponectin, um, and that she was really low on magnesium. And so mm-hmm. these three things were actually her major things. Uh, And we also did genetic testing and figured out uh, that she was having some detoxification issues, which we actually corrected. So she actually lost 50 pounds and did it as a flight attendant. She takes her food with her. She's very dedicated, but it's a lifestyle for her because she feels so much better. She does not want to come off the way that she's doing things. And that's what I really like to have people do is really understand that this is something that's going to affect your health. It's going to affect your skin. It's going to affect your aging. I mean, I'm 53 years old. And I really don't have wrinkles and it's because of the way that I eat, despite the fact that I've lost hundred pounds and should be really wrinkly, you know, and should have saggy skin. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you eat this way and when you really support your hair, skin, nails, uh, and joints with supplementation, when you do it, you're going to have a very different outcome and you're going to be a different person at the time that you, you're done because your energy and the way that you interact with the world is going to be so different. And that's kind of what I try to emphasize. I it's not a weight loss program. It's really a whole health program for your life. And so that's what makes the maintenance easy is that people know how they feel when they follow it and know how they feel when they don't. So it's not just the weight creeping up. That's the issue. It's like they immediately feel it in their joints. 
And a lot of people don't feel it because they're used to just dragging their butt around and being in pain all the time, you know. Feeling like so, crap. They're yeah, feeling like crap. Pain. And until yeah. you know the difference, you don't know the difference. Yeah. You think that's how you're supposed to feel. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you bring up the psychology of this. It's it is really interesting because it's even just the relearning what we tell ourselves. It has a big role on the shame induction and the way we treat ourselves. You know, so if we're like learning these, the the way we love this is this is what I think is body love. Like we're you're teaching how to love thyself through understanding how the body responds to the world, mm-hmm. right? Right. So it's yeah. just, I mean, just kind of like a bigger picture, broader perspective, but that's so fascinating. Um, mm-hmm. So how long is a typical person working with you in your program? So it depends on how much they have to lose, but, you know, like for a person that has 50 or more pounds to lose, I really recommend a year because you don't want to lose weight quickly because a fat has toxins in it that you want to be able to detoxify as you lose it. And B you need to form these lifelong habits and C you need to be supported. So like in my program, I have a wellness coach and a personal trainer, both who understand nutrigenomics, Mm -hmm. how a person should, for instance, work out for their genetics or how a person should eat for their genetics. Um, And my, my wellness coach actually also understands, you know, food sensitivity testing and, hormones and, you know, balancing hormones and all this. So when I tell her about a patient, she knows exactly like from my program, what I'm trying to achieve and can really guide people. So, you know, from where to shop to how to set up their life to how to organize, you know, their vitamins or whatever, she can kind of get people in that set. And then the personal trainer basically understands that like, if you have the ACE gene, you know, you need to work out this way versus if you have, you know, if you have the ACE D, you need to work out this way versus if you have the ACE I, you need to work out this other way. And so, um, so that's, yeah. I love it. This is unique. Yes. Yeah. So it's really that year long program is for people that have like 50 to hundred pounds to lose. If you have less than 50 pounds to lose, I offer a six month and a three month program. And the testing for those is well, the six-month program has all the testing that goes in the one-year program. It just doesn't have all the support because a lot of those people kind of knows. I, I even have personal trainers that have 25 to 30 pounds to lose, but they've just had menopause and kind of hit that wall. So they do the more abbreviated, but they get all the tests, but they don't need like a personal trainer every other week and they don't need a wellness coach every other week. But they get like three visits with the wellness coach. They can set themselves up. And then I have kind of a very abbreviated program for that lady or gentleman who's just hit menopause or change of life and they have five to 10 pounds that they just can't take off. Mm-hmm. And for that, I actually do a pretty big workup, but they're, you know, their time length is minimal because their weight loss goals are minimal. So it really depends on a person, what program they get. But, okay. Yeah. Dr. I mean, there, we are going to have to cut this short. It's going to cut us off. So where can we find you? And thank you so kindly for your education. Thank you so much. So the best is um, at drspellbout.me on Instagram or uh, emailing my um, my uh, person that helps me coordinate the program, which is Taylor, and that's taylor at myvibrantwellness.com, T-A-Y-L-O-R at myvibrantwellness.com. So, and that will yeah. be linked below. Awesome. 